The children may be dismissed for children's church. Everyone else can find the book of Romans in your Bibles. And as you find the book of Romans, I'd like for you to pray with me before we read our passage for today. Um, This passage has the potential to stop us dead in our tracks uh, and address some very real, very practical, very deep uh, matters of our hearts. So let's pray together. Father, my prayer for myself and for your people all week as I've been meditating on this passage has been that you would clarify our vision about what it means to love as Christians. So I ask you one last time before we read this section of scripture that you would please, please remove all distractions from our minds. Give each and every person in this room ears to hear your voice. May the Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts, bringing about uh, clarity and conviction of sin where necessary, and an ability to humble ourselves and repent and confess and move forward as Christians. Lord, please make plain to us all the ways in which we lack love, and especially all the ways in which we mask that lack of love with pretense and false uh, niceness and deception. Please do your work here among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, please stand with me as we read from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Romans 12, beginning with verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. And we're grateful that we have God's word to study this morning. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So last week, based on what God has done in the world and in the hearts of individuals through Jesus Christ, God told us to worship him by being the church, by using our gifts to be active, functioning members of the body of Christ. That was last week. We've been studying what, it, what God has done through Jesus in the world and in people groups, especially the Gentiles and the Jews, and in individuals for over a year and a half in Romans. We've been in Romans a long time. I know. That's because it's a really awesome book. 
So we've been studying what Jesus has done for a long time in Romans, but we've never encountered a passage quite like this one. We've gotten used to Paul developing these major doctrines slowly, taking several paragraphs of thought to carefully argue the correct position about how to think about big things like God and his sovereignty and things like that. And now we come to this passage where there's just 13 commands, just bam, 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 with no elaboration whatsoever. So how are we to approach this passage this morning? Uh, Romans has been lobbing grenades, and now it's shooting a machine gun at us. Just 13 commands. So I've wrestled with how to handle this passage. It's, it's just an avalanche of specific ideas for how we can worship God as the church, as Christians. And I really wanted to just take this whole paragraph just today and just teach all 13 of these commands. And that's what I set out to do. But um, this first one, let love be genuine, grabbed a hold of me and would not let me go all week. So today we are going to just look at this first command. Let love be genuine. And then we'll see how long it takes to get through the rest of the commands. I'm not going to spend one week per command on all of them, but this one is big. This one is important. Um, I think each of them can stand alone, even though they're in the same train of thought. So, today we'll start with this first one. We're not going to get any further today. Unpacking this, these four words, uh, could take the rest of your Christian life. So... Let love be genuine. Before we get into these four words, this command, I want to uh, prove my case for you of why this is so important. All right, so I have five reasons why we need to camp out here. Ready? Everybody likes lists? Okay, reason number one why we need to camp out here. Let love be genuine. Good job, guys. I was hoping you'd find that there was a slide with just it. Reason number one, love fulfills the law, all of the law, all of what God has told us is fulfilled in the word love. Remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they tried to trick him and they said, what's the most important command in the Bible? And he said, number one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything you have. Number two, love people, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets, everything hangs on this. Hangs on love God, love people. Paul says it a little differently. We'll see in Romans 13, 8. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. So all 66 books, all of my sermons, all of your Sunday school lessons hang on this command, love. Did anybody see Cliffhanger a long time ago? Okay. 
I know, another movie illustration. I'm going to explain it to you. This is a Sylvester Stallone movie where he's a like, search and rescue guy up in the mountains. Okay, so in one of the scenes, this, this lady who's a novice climber is trying to pull herself across a cable stretched across two peaks of the mountains. So she's in the middle of this cable pulling herself across, harnessed into the cable. Below her's like, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet before the ground. And all of a sudden her harness starts to give way. And you see all the straps coming loose and she starts to fall from the cable. And it's terrifying if you've never seen it. I'm not endorsing the movie, but imagine yourself, this, this lady, a novice climber, trying to get across this cable and your harness starts coming loose and you start to drop. She does die to ruin the surprise. Spoiler alert. Okay, law is the harness. I mean, not law. Erase that from your memories. Love is the harness of Christianity. Everything we're doing, everything we are about as Christians, everything I do all week, everything we stand for is in this harness of love. Now, if love starts to give away, it all is in danger of being lost. Okay? You cannot overstate the importance of love for the Christian. Reason number two, why we need to camp out here. Love is above all else. I'm going to read you a couple of verses to prove it. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is, above all these other things, the most important. In this passage, Paul's telling us, you know, put off the old self, put on the new self. If you put on all these aspects of the new self, but forget love, it's the equivalent of getting all dressed up for church, but forgetting your pants. Love is essential. And it's above all important. If I had to have forgotten some article of clothing this morning to preach to you, it would not be my pants. I'd rather not have the tie or not have a shoe, but I'm going to wear pants. We have to give love priority. It is above all. In First uh, Peter 4, 7-8, through 8, he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, and above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So what Peter is saying is, you know, the, the end of all things is at hand. Jesus is going to return. So there's a way that you ought to live in light of that. What if Jesus was going to come back next Sunday? And I knew that. And I told you. What should be your priority from now to then? Well, Peter says, well, control yourselves. Be sober-minded. Be serious-minded. It's about to end. Jesus is about to return. But above all of that, keep loving one another earnestly. So the lo- love fulfills the law. 
Love is above all other things. Reason number three, love is what validates all of Christian ministry. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 teaches us that. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a, a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. All the Christian service in the world, the most eloquent preaching, the most talented musicians, the best church marketing, the most dramatic self-sacrifice of goods, even martyrdom, is rendered worthless without love. Anything we do that is not informed by and motivated by love is just invalid input. It's worthless. You cannot over-exaggerate the importance of love for the Christian. Reason number four, love is what identifies us as Christians. Love is the identifying mark of why we're different from the rest of the world. John 13, 34 through 35 teaches us that. This is right after Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So what identifies you and me as being a Christian? Is it our church attendance? Is it our church activity? Is it the way we speak nicely with, and not with a ton of profanity? Is it the Jesus fish on our cars? Is it the Bible in the dash? No, 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 none of that. Non-Christians can do all of that. What identifies us as distinct is the way we love. Fifth and final reason why we need to camp out here. Love is what confirms us as Christians. It identifies us as Christians and it confirms that we are indeed Christians. Not everybody in this church is a Christian. Jesus said the way is narrow. Very few find it. How do we know? 1 John 4, 7 and 8 gives us a good indicator of how we can know. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. If we don't love, we don't know God because God is love. You cannot overstate the importance of love for the Christian. Now, with all this in mind, 
Let's turn to this very simple command. Let love be genuine. And see where it takes us. I wonder what your translation says. Mine says, let love be genuine. The NIV says, love must be sincere. Another one says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. That's the New Living Translation. Let love be genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Here's the King James. Let love be without dissimulation. Your love must be without hypocrisy. And do not be deceitful in your love. Love sincerely. Love without hypocrisy. Let love be without dissimulation. Let love be unfeigned. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be perfectly sincere. However your translation says it, it says the same thing. Now, I wonder what you've been thinking of when I've used the word love. Because the world doesn't have a clue what love means. The world projects these replicas, these cheap knockoffs of what real biblical godly love is. The world would have you think that it's warm, fuzzy feelings for someone. The world would have you think it's just merely sexual attraction to someone. Or some fluttery emotion inside you. Biblical godly love has muscle. It requires all of us. It requires our time and our resources and our energies and our blood and our sweat and our tears. It's not some vague, foggy notion. So, here's my definition of love that I've pulled from Scripture. I think it's pretty good. Um, And I'll tell you how I got to it. So you know love's really important now. Maybe you're wondering exactly what it is. This is love. To desire and act for the benefit of others, regardless of of their disposition toward you. Okay? Did that copy? Biblical, godly love is to desire and act for the benefit of others, regardless of their disposition toward you. It doesn't mean that you like them. It doesn't mean that you enjoy their company. It doesn't mean that you trust them with your children. It doesn't mean that you invite them on your family vacations. But it does mean that you desire and act for their benefit, regardless of their disposition toward you. It means deep personal sacrifice for their benefit, even if they don't love you back. Okay? So let me show you where I get this. For one thing, 1 John 4, 9. I'm reading a lot of scripture to you today. I hope that's okay. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, this is what love is. The ultimate expression of it, God 
sends his son to die for people who had turned away from him. Deeply personal self-sacrifice for people who didn't even love God. That's what we have received. That's what we are to transmit to others. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, that's all well and good, Matt, but you don't know what this person did to me. You don't know how this person sets himself against me. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The godless people do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Everybody knows the famous description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. You hear it almost every wedding because it's just very appropriate. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, real, biblical, godly love is this very practical way of acting towards people. Very practical patience with people. Enduring people. Being humble and malleable and forgiving toward people. It's, it's a hearty hope for the best in people while enduring the worst in people. This is the love that defines us. And here's, here's the kicker. Okay, this is the really uh, sort of sharp point of all this that has gotten me this week. All right, if, if I've lost any of you through reading so much, now's the time to come back. Okay, right back. Good. Love is essential. It is vital. It is central to what it means to be a Christian. But you need to hear this. Christian love cannot be fake. Christian love must be genuine. Now, it's one thing to receive all this and say, okay, I need to play nice with others. But that's not sufficient to God. It has to be genuine. You can't be pretending. Let the weight of that settle on you. Because this is a big deal. It means our love for people must be unfeigned and sincere. This means that pretended love is no love at all. It may keep the peace, but it doesn't please God or help anybody. It means there is no place in the Christian church for actors. It means that God is not content to just change our actions toward others. He will not stop until he has changed our heart's orientation toward others. 
So what do we do now? I want to ask you some difficult questions. Please do not answer out loud. Who is it that you pretend to love? While secretly you have no love in your heart for them and you know it. Who is it that you act warm toward while being cold inside? You need to picture their faces. And you need to hear this inescapable fact. You may not pretend to love these people. It's not an option. It's the easy way out, but it is not an option for the Christian. We're not allowed to act warm while feeling cold. We're not allowed to pretend love while feeling hatred. It's deception. It's sin. God is not concerned at all with appearances. He is concerned totally with the truth. Let me ask you, what's worse, honest hatred or dishonest hatred masked as love? So if we are going to allow God to do some open heart surgery on us, maybe without anesthesia, if we're going to address our disingenuous relationships with people, it may call for some painful conversations. It may call for some terrifying confessions of sin. It may call for some humiliation. It may tear open some scabs. It may force us to let go of some long-held bitterness. It may push us to forgive some very, very real and horrible sins committed against us. But we don't have the option to just pretend it isn't there. So are you ready to love? Are you ready for Christian love? The entire law hangs on this. This is what identifies us as Christians. This is what confirms us as Christians. It's more important than all else. This is the great prerequisite for all Christian ministry. Love. Now I'm confident that the Holy Spirit will guide us as we address these things. He's been working in my heart all week. I'm confident that he will be working in your hearts to address these things. But I also recognize that relationships and histories are complicated. It may seem like a big, tangled up mess for you to try to figure out 
how to get from where you are now in the warm, cozy safety of pretend love to the out, naked and vulnerable reality of real Christian love. And I want to encourage you, if that's where you are, to seek counsel. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. If you're not sure how to go about getting from where you are to Christ-like Christian love, I'm not encouraging you to go out of here and do something reckless, have some reckless conversation that may end up doing more harm than good. The Holy Spirit will guide us in these things. If we're willing to allow God to address our sin in this area, he will. He'll show us the way. Be prayerful about it. Seek counsel about it. But we must act on it. And here's where I'd like you to begin. And I'll close with this. From Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7... we see a story where Jesus is invited to eat with some folks, some upstanding citizens. And a very sinful woman comes in, weeping at Jesus' feet and and washing his feet with her hair and her tears. And these upstanding citizens are saying, if you knew who this woman was, you would not be allowing her to do this. And here's what Jesus says to them. He says, Simon... I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. And then here's the the part I want you to really hear. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The reason I read that particular scripture to you is I want you... To consider your own sins for just a minute. The dark and shameful things that you have in your past and your present, we all have it. Let the weight of those sins rest on your shoulders for just a minute. Feel it. Remember it. Be humbled by it. And then just envision Jesus with his mangled, bloody hands removing that weight from you. Forgiving you. We have been forgiven so much. Of all people in the world, we are uniquely enabled to forgive 
the unforgivable, and to love the unlovely. Because we have received that love from God. Meredith and I have said many times in the past, wouldn't it be fun if somebody just gave us a huge amount of money that we could just go around and just bless people with it? Just buy somebody a new car. There's this old piece of junk. Bam, new car. Just, you know, provide food for a family for a year. Bam. I've been given all this money. I'm going to just give it out. Would that not be fun? Would it not be fun if I gave you a huge bag of cash for you to just go and be Santa Claus and just bless people with it? I don't have a bag of cash. I'm not giving you anything. But essentially that is our lifestyle as Christians, not with material wealth, but with a wealth of love and grace and forgiveness. God has just lavished it on us. We walk around just carrying bags of it, bags of forgiveness, bags of love, bags of grace. And now we're free to just give it out to people that need it. That's the Christian life. So if you have found, if you are being convicted of areas where you're unloving, don't walk out of here feeling condemned. Allow Jesus to forgive you of it. Receive all that from him. And rejoice in the fact that through that, we are enabled to actually live like this, to actually love like this. Nobody else has the power to do this but Christians. So maybe the Holy Spirit has revealed to you people that you have loved insincerely. If so, which has been the case for me, just to lead the way in uh, honesty here, I invite you with me to repent, repent, repent. We don't have to live that way. And don't repent in some foggy general sense. If you need to, in the privacy of your own home, write down these names. Specific. Specific. And then pray, 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 pray for God to forgive you, for God to enable you to repent for God to show you how, if there's any practical steps you need to take. Are there any confessions that need to be made? Are there any, uh, is there any forgiveness that needs to be given? Does this just need to happen in your own heart? Does it need to happen in actual conversation? Pray, pray, pray. Pray for God to change your heart toward this person or these people. And don't stop praying until you would gladly die for them. And then get off your knees And live for them. That's the whole Christian life. So let's pray together right now. May God do this in our hearts. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Uh, We are, without you and without what you do for us through Jesus, we are just in a world of darkness, sinking in our own sin, in our own self-absorption. But you are so amazingly gracious and loving. Help us to receive and be filled up with this love and grace and forgiveness that you offer through Jesus. Lord, help us to in turn pour that out into the people around us. Genuinely. Render us unable to pretend. In Jesus' name, amen.